It's certainly good to be back here again this evening with you folks. And I want to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter number 4. We had mentioned briefly in both the Sunday school hour and the morning meeting that uh, the theme of the book of Hebrews is the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ over all things. How that he is superior to the old covenant, he's superior to Moses, he is superior to the law, he's superior to the angels, he's superior to the priesthood after the order of Aaron coming from a different priesthood uh, that supersedes that of Aaron, the order of Melchizedek. And the book of Hebrews has much to say regarding the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ to all the things under the Old Covenant. Uh, It is the New Covenant under which the Christian is saved, and it is a covenant founded upon new and better promises. And in the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews, the exhortation is given of the Hebrew writer to harden not our hearts against the Lord and against this one whom he has given all things and made him Lord and Christ and there is a brief portion of scripture toward the end of chapter number 4 that I want to look at this morning or this evening regarding the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ and my title for the message this evening is the Christian's great comfort. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 14 says this uh, coming out of the exhortation to harden not our hearts. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, we pray for your help this evening. We ask God that you would open the ears and the hearts of all of us here tonight, Lord, that we would receive the word of God and that we would receive the truth and this great and magnificent, marvelous truth of your priesthood, Lord, and an eternal, ever-abiding, unchanging priesthood that is our great comfort and hope in life and in death and in eternity, that you would help us, Lord, to glorify you with all that is said and done in this evening meeting. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his sake, and we pray, amen. And so, the Christian's great comfort is Christ himself. Christ himself is the Christian's great comfort. And Throughout the book of Hebrews, 
You know, there's, it, it, there's really no book in the Bible like the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is like a lot of other books in the Bible, but there's not a lot of books in the Bible like the book of Hebrews, if that makes sense. Uh, I know that R.C. Sproul was asked once if he were on a deserted island, if there was any single book of the Bible that he could have with him, what would it be? And he said the book of Hebrews, because I get so much of the Old Testament and the New Covenant all wrapped up in one. And the book of Hebrews is just absolutely saturated with great gospel truths. Uh, just like as Brother Paul was praying earlier in the meeting, the, the Lord Jesus, the fulfillment of all these types and shadows, uh, He is the substance to that which was only shadow previously. And the Lord Jesus Christ, having come, having fulfilled all righteousness, having fulfilled the law, having lived the life that we could never live and offered himself a self-sufficient sacrifice once and for all for our sins, has satisfied the eternal wrath of God for our sins and taken upon himself the judgment of God in his suffering that we might be made partakers of divine grace and welcomed into the communion of the family of God. There's no one like the Lord Jesus Christ. In West Virginia, there's a, a little country church that I used to preach in, and the fellow who would lead the service, he would always open the service the same way. He would say, I greet you all in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who done it all. And truly he is. He's the one who has done it all. He's the one who we look to for our guidance. He is the one who we look to as our example. He is the one we look to for our comfort. He is the one we look to in repentance that we confess our sins to. He is the one who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he is the fountainhead of all grace and mercy of God offered towards sinful man. And so this great heavenly comfort is none other than Christ himself. We'll look at tonight at verse 14, 15, and 16 at uh, three aspects of this text. And may the Holy Spirit ever comfort our hearts. Verse number 14 teaches us that we have a heavenly companion. So seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. You know, it's incredible when we begin to think, just as we did this morning, about the priesthood, especially under the Old Covenant. And we uh, sort of thought back to, under the Old Economy, how that uh, a man would bring the sacrifices for himself and for his family, and he would confess his sins, and the sacrifice would be put to death according to all the rites and passages of the Judaic system and how that he would have to come back periodically and he would have to come back year after year and make atonement for these things and do these things in accordance with God's revealed will to them. And however, we understand that the priests that were making the atonement that were um, if I could use this term, officiating this entire rite and ritual, these priests needed cleansing themselves. 
And we find the supremacy of Christ as our high priest in Hebrews chapter number 7. We won't go there and read that this evening, but that is Hebrews 7 if you want to look that up later for yourself. But in Hebrews chapter number 7, it teaches us how that the, the high priests under the order of Aaron, they needed a sin offering themselves. They needed their sins forgiven themselves. However, our great high priest is not one who needs his sin forgiven. And we talk about the, the term priest and what it means, someone who communicates or goes before God on behalf of another. And I cannot help but think of the somewhat unmatched blasphemy of the one who would call himself the Pontifex Maximus. And uh, once again, um, our brother would perhaps have to help me with a little bit of the, the Latin. You know, him having spent time in Italy, I'm sure he's much more familiar with the system than I am. But I do know that the title that he has given, uh, it, it means something to the extent of supreme bridge builder or the supreme bridge builder. And he's almost stands in place, uh, identifying himself as the vicar of Christ and standing in place as the one who will get a man to God. We know that uh, the, in the Catholic system, the sins are confessed to the priest, and the priest will give them a set of rituals and ordinances and things that they can do, and they send them away with a false comfort that their sins are absolved on behalf of this system that the men have created. Um, but the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, that there is one God, and that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One writer called him God's perfect man and man's perfect God. Eternally, truly God of truly God, and yet truly man of truly man, having taken upon himself, never divesting himself of his divinity, but having taken upon himself a human nature, suffered in that human nature and died for us. Having been put to death, he rose from the dead, as we looked at this morning, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us still yet as our high priest. And so, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens... Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And so this one who has in heavenly sense condescended himself and came down among sinners and suffered and lived the life of a man with a body and, uh, and flesh and he, he ate and he drank and he slept and he worked and he lived and he died. And he did so without sin. And having ascended into heaven, final time, before his disciples and followers, as he would teach them and give them the Great Commission, he lift his hands and bless them. 
And here again we have another Old Testament picture regarding the priesthood. And this is something that the priest would do on the Day of Atonement when he would take the blood of the Paschal Lamb into the holiest place and put it upon the mercy seat. He would lift his hands and pronounce the sins of the people to have been atoned for. But there's a difference between the priests after the order of Aaron and the ascension of our great high priest, and that is this. When it comes to the Old Testament work of the priesthood and the tabernacle, in the temple, you know, you can read all throughout the Old Testament and there are piles of chapters. One could read on hours alone the texts just regarding the peculiarities of the tabernacle and the temple and the worship. We have entire books in our Old Testament, the book of Moses, devoted to this regarding the book of Leviticus. But what we have not is any sort of furniture or place for the priest to sit down. There was not one chair in the tabernacle. There was not one chair in the temple because the work of the priest was never done. They never let the altar go out. They never sat down on the job. The, the Psalms indicate to us that there was a night shift for priests and that the priests would lift their hands and praise God all through the night and that they would, day and night, they are sacrificing and making prayers and thanksgiving and they are worshiping God under that old covenant. But our great high priest is one who, when he lifted his hands and he ascended to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. That is supremely, that is supremely significant. The work was accomplished. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross were true words when he said, It is finished. It is finished. It's passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, not Aaron, not sinful men after the order of a priesthood that is faulty and blame, not blameless, but rather Jesus, the Son of God. And the exhortation given to us regarding our heavenly companion, let us hold fast our profession. Let us hold fast our profession. You know, there's, there's a lot of things in this life. The Bible speaks so true to the fact that it is better to trust in the Lord than in man. Man will let you down. The person sitting next to you is going to let you down sooner or later. The, uh, the preacher is going to let you down. Your Sunday school teacher is going to let you down. You're, you're, you're going to be let down by earthly men. That's just the way it is. But we do not hold fast our profession upon the promises of men, but rather upon the promises of God. I believe it was Hudson Taylor, and he had taken um, a group of missionaries and was spending time with them, young young missionaries, and they questioned him in, in regard to uh, the foreign field and the things that he had done, and he had told them, they questioned him, they said, or he questioned them rather, he said, what is it that is going to keep you on the mission field? What is it that's going to keep you going? And many uh, ones answered, and one raised their hand. They said, well, uh, God has given us a commission to go. God has given us a charge to go. And another raised their hand, and they said, well, there are sinners, and they are dying without the gospel, and they are going to hell every day. And 
another raised their hand and said, God has promised to give us the Holy Spirit and that we would go in power and be witnesses in all the earth and to every corner of the earth and witness for the glory of God. And he, after all the answers were made, he had told uh, the group of young missionaries that they were all fine answers, but they were not the answer that he was looking for. He said, when you get out there and you experience the things that I have experienced, the only thing that is going to keep you there is your love of God. Is loving God Himself. And so when we are exhorted to hold fast our profession, brothers, it is... It is for Jesus Christ. When the pressures and the temptations of the world come upon us and the, the, the fatigue and the stress of this waste howling wilderness of a world just beats upon us, we must understand that there is a God in heaven who is worth living for here on earth. And that there is a Savior worth living and dying for. Let us hold fast our profession. Let us keep going for Christ. Let us persevere unto the end. And let us show the glory of God in the earth. The modern day gravy train gospel preachers and televangelists will promise nothing but blessing, but they will never preach anything of the cost of discipleship and what it means to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've seen this exhortation of our heavenly companion, but let us look also to the heavenly compassion, a heavenly compassion. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That's an incredible statement. It's an incredible statement because it, it helps us to understand a little bit of biblical Christology. One preacher told me once, and I, I never forgot this, he said what the modern day preachers want to do is they want to take God and they want to bring Him down to man's level. And that's why most of the, the, the country music songs about God and the southern gospel songs about God, what it is, it's all, you know, me and Jesus sitting on the tailgate, or me and Jesus doing this, and it's all just trying to, to bring God down. He said what Bible preaching will do is it spans the gap between God and man, and it shows man, it humbles him to the dirt, and it exalts God to the heavens. It shows us just how far away we are from God and our desperate need for the Savior. And yet the Savior condescended and came down among us and lived and died so that we could be united to Him. He says that He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. A God who experienced not the infirmities and the, the consequences of sin and what it brings upon a life. He, was, he wasn't even touched with infirmity. But the Bible says He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Let me illustrate. When I was, I pastored a small church in Kentucky uh, for a while, and you know, I had I was single at the time, and I had a lot of time alone on my hands, and I thought that I would try and pick up instruments and try to learn uh, music, and it was not a successful endeavor. But I, I had instruments, and I had a, a six-string guitar, and I had a mandolin. And I would sometimes I would just get the instruments out and it'd be me in the living room alone with the instruments and I'd 
try to play one and I'd get frustrated and I'd move on to the next one and I'd try to play it and I'd move on to the next one. And I remember one day I was trying to play the guitar and I was strumming along and trying to play a chord progression and I, I would mess up and I would take my fingers and mute the strings. But after I would mute the strings, I would hear the ringing of the strings continued. And it, it was really messing with me. I didn't understand what was going on. I thought, what is this? And I, I soon began to realize that my mandolin I had sat on the kitchen table, when I would mute the strings on the guitar, the mandolin would ring. And I thought, what is this all about? And did a little bit of research on it. It's something uh, called harmonic synchronization. And if those strings are just about perfectly in the same tune with one another, if they're the same width and tune and all that stuff, and close enough proximity, then I can strike the bottom E string on that guitar, and the E string on that mandolin will shake. It's, it's sort of a phenomena, but it, it's, it's called harmonic synchronization. And, you know, there's a, there's a bit of truth in that picture regarding the Lord Jesus and Him being touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet He was without sin. Now, liberal theologians will use that text as a, they'll try to poke holes in that text by saying, well, Jesus could not have been tempted in all the ways we are because He never had a wife. So how could He have been tempted into adultery? But they devilishly and grossly misinterpret the text when they do that. They twist the Scripture because I believe what that Scripture is telling us is that the Lord Jesus, when He endured the temptation of Satan upon the mount, He was tried in all the ways that we are tried. And you can take this theology for what it's worth, but I believe that each of our sins could be categorized into one of three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And upon the mount, the Lord Jesus being uh, tempted to turn the stones to bread in His hunger and in His fasting, was tempted in the lust of the flesh, that He was tempted with the offer of the kingdoms and the lust of the eyes upon the high mountain, and that He was tempted with the pride of life by the devil to jump from the pinnacle of the temple. And so Jesus endured the same temptation that we endure, yet He endured it without sin, proving Himself faithful, proving Himself sinless, perfect, the only sufficient one to go to the cross and die. It was not merely a prophet, nor was it merely a good teacher or preacher or priest or even king that died upon the cross, but it was the God-man, the Messiah, the Christ, God Himself, God the Son. And having endured that temptation to the fullness and coming forth pure, He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is our great comfort and our great help in heaven, the great interceder for us who prays for us and helps us. Christ endured all this temptation with perfect obedience to the Father. And so we see the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen a heavenly companion and a heavenly compassion. Lastly, let us 
look tonight at a heavenly commune. What does the Hebrew writer say? Let us therefore come boldly. The great God of heaven, before whom all things are naked and opened, before the eyes of him with whom we have to do, the one who in his day of wrath and the great and terrible day of the Lord will judge the quick and the dead of his coming and will judge with ultimate judgment and righteousness the earth. The Christian is exhorted to come boldly before him. That's amazing. John Phillips illustrated this well. He, he, to, he told the story of a uh, Moabite boy. He was pushing his sheep along the uh, wilderness there. And he was on the outskirts of Jerusalem and near the temple. And he ran into a Hebrew boy. And he, he heard the, the singing and he heard the praises and he smelled the incense and he saw the smoke rising uh, from the altar. And he was always so perplexed and he was always so intrigued by what he had seen and he came across that Hebrew boy, and the Hebrew boy struck up a conversation with him as they herded their sheep. And he, the Moabite boy asked him, he said, what, what is that all about down there? What's going on down there? He said, well, that's the temple. That's where God is. That's where God meets with man. And the, the Moabite boy would say to him, well, I, I want to go and I want to see God. I want to meet God. The Hebrew boy said, you can't. He said, you're, you're not a Jew. You're not a Hebrew. You're not one of the covenant. He said, so you're telling me if I was a Hebrew that I could go down there and I could see God. I could, I could, I could go to God. He said, well, not exactly. You wouldn't just have to be a Hebrew to go back where the presence of God is. You'd have to be a Levite. He says so to him, well, if I was a Levite and I was a Hebrew, then I could go to where God's presence is. He said, well, not exactly. You'd have to be a Levite, you'd have to be a Hebrew, but you'd have to be consecrated to the priesthood. You'd have to be, one of the, you'd have to be a priest. So you're telling me that if I was a Hebrew and I was a Levite and I was... One of the priests. I was consecrated to the priesthood. Then I could go into the presence of God. Well, not exactly. You wouldn't just have to be a priest. You'd, you'd have to be the high priest. And before you ask, you wouldn't just have to be the high priest. You could only go one time a year. And that's the Day of Atonement. And you would have to take with you the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. His blood in a basin. He says, so you're telling me that if I was a Hebrew, a Levite, and I was consecrated to the priesthood, not just any priest, but the high priest, and that was that one particular day of the year on that feast that I would take the blood of this Passover lamb into that place that I could be in the presence of God? He said, yes. You see what the Lord Jesus did? Is He did something far greater than the Passover lambs of the Old Covenant did. Because when Jesus offered Himself upon the cross, the Bible tells us that the heavens were darkened, that the rocks rent, and that the veil of the temple 
that separated the most holy place from everything else and from us was rent in twain. It was rent in two. It was torn in two from top to bottom. Some authors have said that it was rent in top rent in twain from top to bottom to show that it was not man who tore the veil, but rather it was God who tore the veil. The picture is significant here that it is teaching us that God has opened a way for us to Him through the death of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we can now come boldly before the throne of God. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. You know, there's there have been times in my life that I found myself in trouble, and not not just and I'm, I'm talking about in a in a magistrate sense, in an earthly sense, in a in the school system or whatever it might have been. There have been times that uh, disciplinary action was taken, and I have found myself. Uh, in judgment of some form or another, and I've I've had to go to the dock. I've had to I've had to plead my case and try and get myself out of trouble. And whether it was going to the principal's office or, where, or wherever it might have been, uh, I did not have the sensation or the feeling when I was doing these things that I was going to find grace. And this is important to understand. And this, if you miss anything else I say tonight, don't miss this. To the Christian, to the one who has been born again, when you come before your Father, when you come before the throne, you are coming before a throne of grace. The satanic deception that God does not want us to confess our sins I don't feel worthy to pray. I don't feel worthy to confess this sin. I, I've confessed this sin before. I don't want to do it again. And so it, it, it goes unresolved or it goes unconfessed. And, and what happens is your heart is hardened and backsliding begins. Understand that when you come before your Father, you're coming before God who has invited you to grace and mercy. That there is forgiveness with the Lord. That we may obtain mercy. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If I, can, if I you know, really mess up something at work and I come home and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm bothered about it and I tell my wife, you know, she can sit down beside me and pat my back and tell me it's okay and it'll all be alright, but, but really she has nothing to do with it. She, and she, she can't do anything about it. But the Lord Jesus, we confess our faults and our sins before Him. He's the one who's not only faithful to forgive our sins, He's just to forgive our sins. He's the one who has the authority to put those sins away and forgive those sins and cleanse those sins from our record. That is a great comfort. 
And the promise of God is, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In time of need. Songwriter said, I need thee every hour. How true is that? I need thee every hour. Find not only forgiveness and not only mercy, but we find grace. It's like the the son who ran away, went and ran away in Luke chapter number fifteen. He'd rehearsed in his mind, you know, he he'd seen the error of his ways, and he repented, and he came back to his father. I, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants, and he. He stops him before he even finishes what he had prepared to say. And he said, put shoes upon his feet. Put, put this coat on him. Put, give him a ring on his hand and kill the fatted calf. My son was dead and he's alive. He was gone and he's back. That's the kind of grace. One old preacher used to say the only time, <laughs> the only time in the Bible you ever see God get in a hurry is when he ran to meet the prodigal son. Grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Him. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is the only one. He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And First John tells us, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so, with that, let's pray. Lord, we praise You and we thank You for the great comfort that You are our High Priest, more worthy of any praise that could ever come from our lips and more worthy of anything that we could ever offer before You, Lord. We are a people undeserving of You and Your majestic, marvelous, wonderful grace and forgiveness. Let us not be shy to come before Your throne, but let us in a holy fear come before it boldly. Lord, that we may find grace to help in time of need, forgiveness of sins and mercy. Thank You for being a God who has revealed Yourself to us. Thank You for not having not left us in the dark and left us chained in our sin, but Lord, help us to glorify You. Help us to be quick to repent and acknowledge our sin and help us, Lord, to ever continually hold fast our profession that the Son of God may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.